Hello, everyone, and welcome to Write Up Your Algae, a podcast about ecology, wildlife, and environmental science. We are your hosts, Clara and Emily, and we are both undergrads at Acadia University. So far on our podcast, we have mostly talked about a species or an ecosystem and have looked into some research being done in those fields. And all this information can be a bit of a downer. I don't know. You Have you been finding that, Emily? Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it's really hard to listen to all these negative things concerning conservation and climate change and the environment. So in this episode, we are attempting to do something a little bit different, and we are calling it the Biosphere Bulletin. So basically, Emily and I will be reporting on some different news articles that we've found and hopefully delivering a bit of positive news to you folks about what's happening in our world in terms of conservation. All right, so I have a story to start. Are you ready? I do, but I just have one thing to say. I don't know if I got the memo on the positive thing here. <laughs> some of my new, some of my new stories. I've got a silly one at the end, but I some are a little bit questionable. Okay, so maybe I'm just gonna bring some positivity because I've been finding everything is kind of down in the dumps lately. Like I've been feeling really sad about and like <laughs> anxious about all the things happening in our world, and so I kind of wanted to just find some lighthearted news stories. These are stories about things that are happening, whether they be positive, neutral, or negative is another (laughs) opinion for you guys to interpret. Hopefully we can get off to a good start and hopefully we can end on a positive note. All right, I think I can make that happen. Okay, so my first article is one I found on the website Conservation International. Just to let you know, all these articles and um, news stories will be detailed in our episode description. So the article I found was called Exploration Reveals Lost Pacific Microbat Colony. Pretty fascinating, right? Oh, wow, wow. (laughs) So this species of bat is known as the Pacific Sheep-Tailed Bat, which is an endangered species of bat that can be found in Amerian, Soma, Fiji, Guma, Micronesia, Palau, Soma, Tonga, and Vanuatu. These bats live in or on caves, lava tubes, and cliffs. Until recently, there was only a few caves that these bats lived in, and their population was estimated to be somewhere around 500 individuals. So not very many individuals at all. And they're, again, pretty spread out between all of these places and all these islands. However, the article stated that on a recent expedition to an island in Fiji, the researcher Christopher Helgen made a wonderful discovery. They found a cave containing thousands of these Pacific sheep-tailed bats. Helgen estimated a total of 2,000 to 3,000 bats in this one cave. Wow. Yeah, so this means terrific things for this bat population. They were thought to be extremely endangered, almost to the point of extinction, point of no return. But since they found this new population, it could mean that if we continue to protect this population and it is located in an unvisited part of Fiji, hopefully we'll see it increasing in population size within the next couple of years. Interesting. I wonder what the implications of having such a closed off population would be if there's like if they're going to need to introduce some genetic diversity there or not. Um, it all depends, right? Because they've been seeming to do pretty well so far. Mm-hmm. Like you have thousands of these bats living in this one cave, but that doesn't mean they're all genetically similar either, mm-hmm. right? So they're probably more genetically similar than the bats in the other caves, which are pretty isolated. But I think that these bats can still mate with each other across the different islands so maybe there might have to be some more investigation but this is 
again, are really recent. I think it was only over the summer that these bats were discovered. So a pretty recent discovery. I just wanted to mention that nowadays we know many species of bats are endangered and the ones in North America especially are becoming infected with a disease um, called white nose syndrome. So this discovery is a great kind of light-hearted news for Some these good bats. news for bats. Yeah, good <laughs> news for bats. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with white nose syndrome, it's a fungal disease that affects bats who are in hibernation. It basically disturbs their hibernation, resulting in extra energy being exerted to function, to continue with metabolism. And this leads to dehydration, starvation, and death. So this disease affects mostly the east coast of North America, but it has also been seen in Washington, and they're also testing for it in BC. So it affects places like Quebec, Nova Scotia, PEI, and New Brunswick. So there's none in Newfoundland yet. Hopefully that'll stay the same, according to this article that I read. <laughs> and this is a significant disease as it has killed over 6 million bats in these areas. So I would count this discovery as a win for bats. Let's go bats. <laughs> they're yeah, super let's important. Let's go bats. <laughs> Got a funny bat story, actually. Okay. So I used to work in a liquor store over one summer, and uh, it also sold like some touristy like merchandise, I suppose, for um, for Newfoundland. One day when I was working, we had a customer who was looking through shirts there, and she goes, "Excuse me, I think there's like I think she said she thought there was like a rat in the shirt." And we were like, "There is no rat in the shirt." <laughs> Anyways, it was not a rat, but it was a bat. It was a little tiny brown bat. He was like smaller than my fist. Yeah, they're Curled so up, tiny. just holding on to the little t-shirt. I know. So we took him outside. We were, uh, we're pretty close to a wooded area, so we yeah let, let him go into the woods. Yeah, and I forgot to mention too these bats. Like you mentioned, how small that bat was. Mm, these so bats, tiny. Like are way less than a quarter. Less than a quarter. Yeah, they're like micro bats. They're very oh my tiny. God. So cute. Yeah, so super cool. Yeah. <laughs> super cool animals we have on this planet. Who knew? All right, let's get into my first story. So, so I'm going to take you to Arizona to Seven Canyons Golf Course that has recently had an unwelcome guest that has caused some stir online after a video by a maintenance staff worker who filmed the damage caused by wild javelinas to the golf turf went viral. For the past six weeks, upwards of 100 javelinas have been digging for sustenance in Seven Canyons Golf Course. Arizona has been experiencing a drought and unusually warm weather, even for Arizona, as of recent. And this is what is thought to have driven javelinas to look for alternative food sources. Claire, do you know what a javelina is? I'm going to take a wild guess, not knowing if anything prior to this, not like Emily mentioned this story to me before. <laughs> um, I'm going to guess they're a wild boar. Anyways. Like a pig type thing. Yeah, they're pig-like, but not actually a pig. Uh, so javelinas are peccaries. So they're pig-like, although not related. Pigs are considered old world, meaning that they were brought to the Americas from like Eurasia. Mm -hmm. But peccaries are originating in the Americas, so they are mm -hmm. peccary. They are omnivorous and feed largely on insects and roots. That's why they are prone to digging. The golf course has taken some initiative to deter the peccaries, such as using chili oil, coyote urine, cayenne pepper, and sand, but the space is just too big to cover. Um, so how are they acquiring this coyote urine? <laughs> I think that, like, that is something that's, like, commonly sold, I guess, to deter wildlife. Like, it's something that is commercially used. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know how I'm, they get it. No, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm just wondering. How do you who obtain came, coyote yeah, urine? Yeah, but who came up with the idea that was just like, oh yeah, coyote urine. I've heard of people taking, like, 
if you want to get rid of rats, just let, like, a cat in your house for a few days, and, like, not only will they kill the rats, but they'll, like, spread their scent around okay, to keep yeah. things away, so I think it's very much, like, a, a scent thing. <laughs> but do you think, like, coyote urine would attract other coyotes? I don't know. They actually mentioned in this that they've dealt with digging on the golf course before from things like coyotes. The problem is there's just so many wild peccaries that they like, I don't know if you've seen any pictures, we'll totally post some, but it's like they're tearing up like tons and tons of space and it's taking a long time to fix. Uh, New avenues are being explored such as catching and releasing the peccaries elsewhere or building a fence. (laughs) Can peccaries jump? Well, they actually mentioned they wanted to do a fence specifically that was low enough that deer could jump over it, but peccaries couldn't. (laughs) So they wanted to let bigger wildlife still be able to roam around because it's such a big space. So I think they're considering, you know, other wildlife. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) It's still a golf course. It's still a golf course. Javelina are a protected species in the U.S., but hunting is permitted, although not this time of year. There have been some calls for culling of the javelina, but they seem to be a stable, healthy population, and doing something like a cull could really change that. These kind of news stories are going to start popping up more and more as climate change begins to take more of an effect, because animals are going to be forced to be changing their behavior to cope with their changing environment. This particular behavior is thought will subside as temperatures cool in the winter and bugs are forced further down into the earth, and javelinas will opt for an easier-to-find food source. That's really interesting because I was actually, while I was looking for new articles for our, our episode today, I came across another one that was talking about a cult for like birds that eat fish what yeah and for anybody who doesn't know what a call is it basically means just like going out and killing everything you see <laughs> yeah it's, it's just a large-scale removal of yeah of a particular species that is causing problems and and we think of causing problems you know it's it's causing problems to us and that's actually <laughs> yeah. it, it comes up again kind of in one of my other stories but mm-hmm. in a little bit of a different sense which is kind of cool it's not the next one i'm going to be talking about but Calls, I do have a lot of issues with those. I think calls that I, at least that I hear of all the time, I'm sure there's a bunch of different kinds of calls, or like shark calls, whenever there's a shark attack, yeah. there's large-scale shark calls. And not as much nowadays, but it does still happen. They're so rare, and they're just sharks doing what sharks do, you know? They're gonna take advantage of a food source if prompted to, you know? I have the next story. I'm gonna be talking about an article that I saw from the Canada's National Observer, and the really cool thing about Canada's National Observer is they also have, like, a bunch of podcasts, and I'm, like, listening oh, yeah. to some now. That's where the, the Salmon People podcast is from. Oh, really? Yeah. So, this article was titled, Feds Pump $12.5 Million Into Environmental Literacy. That's just great. Yeah. I'm just happy about it. <laughs> yeah, I can That's see wonderful. Emily, Emily is smiling from ear to ear right yeah. now. So, basically, this is an initiative that has begun through the funding of Environmental Damages Fund. One of the important things about this fund is the education aspect. So it's dealing with climate change and the damage that climate change is going to cause in the future. The applications for applying for this amount of funding has unfortunately ended on October 31st, which would have been yesterday. We're recording on October 30th, but we're posting the episode on November 1st, so yesterday. However, the goal of the project is to actually encourage youth organizations and things like non-governmental organizations to work on projects concerning the environment. So the article also details that these projects are mainly focused on improving environmental literacy. 
within communities, within schools. And this is extremely important, as you know, because there's a lot of things that people don't know about the environment. And one of the aims of this podcast is actually, you know, increasing that environmental mm-hmm. literacy. So this is kind of a fun thing because it relates to the theme of our podcast. Includes things like professional development and also teacher training. The Minister of Environment and Climate Change Canada also stated that since youth are going to be largely impacted by the changes caused by our climate, it is good to encourage education so that they can be better equipped to deal with the outcomes. As well, a good thing about this funding is they have designated a certain portion of the funding to be set aside to use by Indigenous organizations, and they don't have to be like charities or youth organizations. They can be any type of Indigenous organization which I think is really important that we support Indigenous people, especially with traditional knowledge and two-eyed seeing. And that's super important to get out into our communities so that everybody can learn about all different aspects of the environment and all different ways that we can look at how the environment works. That's so great that they're specifically targeting groups that are going to be, you know, seeing these effects a lot more than, you know, older generations are going to be. People who, Indigenous people, are more likely to be self-sufficient and using the environment to sustain themselves and and of course children as well mm-hmm. are going to be seeing these effects a lot more disproportionately so that's just so great that's, yeah. that's just wonderful that's great news <laughs> I know it was super cool and just like coming across that one positive piece of information that they're setting aside quite a substantial amount of money mm-hmm. to fund these projects and these research projects or these different types of initiatives training education it's it's super important because I remember learning about climate change and in high school and in um, junior high, but we didn't really go that much into it. And mm-hmm. the only time that I really got to learn about our environment was in my geography course. So I think that... Yeah, that, and that was optional when we were in school, so that could have been completely avoided yeah, by many people. Yeah, and it was. Like, I know a lot of people who took, like, world history or whatever, mm-hmm. but the thing is, is that it's super important that we just teach everybody about what's happening in our environment, whether that is their area of interest or not it's not really significant it's because it affects everybody exactly mm-hmm. yeah well thank you clara that was a really lovely story i'm gonna probably be getting into maybe my most dismal but that's okay <laughs> we're gonna get back to the positives after this um in other news a study from japan has made headlines for finding microplastics in clouds and i must say this is a very interesting read this is actually one of my goals in creating the podcast was i wanted to shine light on how interesting reading scientific literature can be you know when you're studying in the fields that you and i are studying yeah. clara um you have to do a lot of reading of scientific literature and while some can be quite dull <laughs> really <laughs> And sometimes I'm just looking for like a small nugget of information, but I end up reading the whole thing because it's just so interesting. I felt like I felt like this about this article. So it's linked below, as we said earlier. I highly recommend it. Although I will say the chemistry of it does get a little bit complicated. For anyone who knows me, I am a chemistry hater. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't we all? I'm just kidding. (laughs) But um, also a good thing for people who aren't in or who, ha- who have not done, like, undergraduate degrees mm-hmm. in sciences, uh, a good thing for you to do is just read the abstract. That's what I mostly do. Love reading the abstract. <laughs> um, if it gives you a good overview of just what the article's about, and it's generally in plain language. It's generally yeah. not so complicated to read, but then, you know, then I have to go and read the whole article after that, but <laughs> that's another you know, demon in itself. But yeah, just read the abstract. And especially for all these articles that we post, if you are interested in them, 
and you look at it and you're like, uh, what the hell is going on? This is, <laughs> there's a lot of words. Just read the abstract and you should get a good synopsis of everything that's happening in the research. Also, right quick, I just wanted to give a shout out to my wonderful boyfriend, Lucas. <laughs> he actually suggested this topic to me while I was trying to find some, some biology news last night. <laughs> Let's go, Lucas. <laughs> Recently, microplastics are showing up in many facets of ecosystems and anatomies, with them being present in the digestive systems of vertebrates and invertebrates alike, lungs, blood, and placentas of pregnant women. Now, they've been found in clouds. Love that. <laughs> Collecting monthly from Mount Oyama, weekly from Tarobu, and only during the summer months in Mount Fuji, Japanese researchers found nine polymers and one rubber in cloud water using attenuated total reflection imaging using micro fournier transform infrared spectroscopy. <laughs> yeah, so Emily, <laughs> I wish I could say I took the time to figure out what the hell that means. <laughs> but Galera, I did not. <laughs> oh my gosh. So for all you listeners out there who have no idea what that is, neither do I. If you're a chemist, we'd love to have you on the show to explain what whatever I just said. <laughs> Anyways, this was just how they separated the 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 sure. microplastic from the cloud water they collected. Oh, but of course. <laughs> how they did it, I could not explain it to you. I'm so sorry. Uh, that's okay. I think I think I can live. <laughs> One of the parts of this article that I found really interesting was their sort of breakdown about, I guess, hypothesis on how microplastics could get into the atmosphere. One of the potential explanations, they discuss a study that also came out recently in, in um, 2023 by Caterino et al., who in an experiment added fluorescent beads that were 0.5 to 10 micrometers long to artificial seawater and reported that the beads on the smaller end of the spectrum, so closer to the 0.5 micrometer range, were able to enter the atmosphere through sea spray caused by bubble and wave action. Interesting. So they think that sort of the, I guess, mechanism of entry could be, you know, microplastics entering the ocean, and then the ocean through sea spray, bringing it into the atmosphere. That's really interesting. And you know, this article, I've, I've actually heard about it multiple times. Like, it's a kind of a topic of discussion, just in and among some of my peers. And I think it's a, a really interesting concept. Like, I'm not super... I don't know a lot about microplastics. That's not something that I've spent a lot of time looking into. It was really strange when somebody said to me, oh, yeah, they're found in clouds. And I was like, what are you talking about? See, there, it's, it's, so, it's such a new field of research that, like, things are popping up, I feel like, every day. Like, they find it in something new. Yeah. And, like just sort of everywhere now it's kind of it is to be expected mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> like, even if they haven't found it i would just assume oh, they yeah. were it's everywhere. Just in everything like plastic isn't everything like it doesn't degrade it's just there forever anyways that's that's kind of upsetting i mean a little bit more dismal but i promise i have a funny one for my last one okay i hope so because <laughs> now i'm kind of sad to lighten the mood a little bit okay um all right <laughs> so on that note <laughs> Um, Lucas just... isn't allowed to give us suggestions anymore. No. <laughs> he did a very bad job. <laughs> I'm kidding. It is a very important story. Like, microplastics is, like, a huge issue right now, and I think, you know, maybe we can do a full episode on microplastics. Oh, I'm sure it would be easy to find enough information to oh, fill an yeah. episode. <laughs> no worries. Probably multiple episodes. <laughs> For sure. Okay, so on to my last story. So I found this article from the Scientific American, which is actually a part of Springer Nature, which is a scientific journal. 
So this article was titled, Millions of Mosquitoes Will Rain Down on Hawaii to Save an Iconic Bird. Wow, what a mouthful. Okay, <laughs> so this article talks about kind of a cool conservation initiative, kind of a not-so-cool conservation initiative. And hopefully this initiative will be able to help restore the population of collared honey creepers in Hawaii, which is basically just a bird. I gotta look up what a collared honey creeper looks They're like. They're really, really pretty. <laughs> so while you do that, <laughs> the honey creeper, of which four species are currently at risk of extinction within the next year or two, are an important pollinator on the islands of Hawaii. The bird holds a unique niche in their environment and is also very important culturally to the people on Hawaii. There was once more than 50 species of honey creepers. However, now the species number is only 17. Oh. Really sad. That is very sad. And four of these species are now at risk of extinction within the next less than two years. So, sorry. <laughs> Mosquitoes are actually one of the potential reasons that have caused the death of all these birds. So I'm going to try to pronounce the species name of this mosquito. <laughs> it is called the Clix quinquefasnicus. Fantastic job, Sarah. Yeah, no problem. I'm so good at this. <laughs> Anyways, so this invasive type of mosquito was introduced and carries the deadly avian malaria parasite. So this is obviously causing destruction among all these species of birds. Since the arrival of this mosquito, which in the article it said was from the 19th century when European settlers came over. Gosh, those European settlers always coming over. <laughs> <laughs> Honey creepers are typically now found in higher latitudes to avoid mosquitoes and to avoid this disease. So the Maui Forest Bird Recovery Project is trying to use a method of incompatible insect technique. So this method has only been used for human-borne diseases such as dengue in China. However, this is the first time that it, one of the first times that it will be used for an animal-borne disease. Doing this research, I have conflicting opinions about this, and you'll see why. So basically, this technique involves a laboratory where you use male mosquitoes that contain Wolbachia, which is a bacteria. So when the males of the with the lab will back ya, mate with wild females, the eggs will not hatch. However, in the wild, these mosquitoes need to have the same strain of Wolbachia bacteria to create viable offspring. So it's naturally occurring in their guts. Again, they must have the same strain to produce viable offspring. And viable offspring basically just means offspring that will live <laughs> past mm -hmm. the egg stage. They are basically taking a different type of Wolbachia that's not commonly found in these mosquitoes putting it in and hoping the males will breed with the females in the wild. And only the female mosquitoes bite, so they're only releasing males into the environment. So scientists involved in this project state that there should be no harm to the environment as mosquitoes are not endemic to Hawaii. So Emily, do you know what an endemic species is? As a species that is originally from there. They weren't, they weren't brought in. Exactly. So it's a native species to the area such as honey creepers, which are the natural pollinators. So the mosquitoes are therefore not native to Hawaii. So they assume no negative effects, it'll be fine. 
So hopefully this project will allow for the populations of honeycreepers to bounce back and all will be well. And for most of us, you might think this sounds like a great idea because mosquitoes are terrible and they're pests and everybody hates them. They're gross. They are extremely looking and ick. Right? Right? Is that exactly it, Emily? <laughs> you knit the hair. You, you knit the hail on the net. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, so wrong. Anyways. <laughs> So just because in Hawaii there's no imminent issue, this does not mean that it is the same everywhere. Remember that when we play God, there's always issues that follow, and I hate it when we play God. Because <laughs> we don't control everything, you know? It's it's the environment, and the organisms in the environment should be able to live in the way they want to without our disturbances. Remember that mosquitoes are still important to many ecosystems as they provide food, and some species are also really important pollinators. No matter how much you hate them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that being said, as our climate warms, we are going to see more invasive species of mosquitoes, and that's just how it's going to happen. It's coming. And they're going to move further and further north, and with that, they're going to bring new diseases. And some of these diseases include, like, West Nile virus, which we're also which we're already seeing in Canada, as well as dengue fever. So, Emily, do you have any opinions on this conservation tool that they're trying to use? I don't know. It, it does feel like, I, I can't say I'm against it completely. If it works, how they intend it to. I don't know, you said it's invasive, so I assume there is something else already filling the niche of, like, a pollinator and a prey option. Yeah, so in, in the case of Hawaii, like, I don't think, maybe it won't be as big of an issue, right? But again, these mosquitoes have been there for quite a long time now, like, a couple hundred years, right? Mm -hmm. um, not to say that, like, this isn't a, the invasive species they're talking about. So hopefully there won't be any issues if there is native species of mosquitoes in the islands of Hawaii, but you never know. Mm -hmm. And they're expecting the population to decline a lot, but they don't think it's going to be completely abolished. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens. Um, they're planning on releasing thousands and thousands of these mosquitoes. Hopefully these honeycreepers can bounce back because... They're super important, and they're very adorable. I will be posting pictures. <laughs> yeah, they are very pretty. All right, for our last story, I have a little bit of a silly one. Uh, maybe more silly than my last story. Researcher Elisa Well found in April of this year that Canor habditis elegans, a species of roundworm, get the munchies. <laughs> <laughs> When exposed to cannabis, roundworm have been found to have a persistent appetite, feeding longer than typical under the effects of the drug, as well as having a strong preference for high-quality foods rather than less nutritious options, thus suggesting that the mechanisms by which cannabis affects appetite have evolved 500 million years ago. Interesting. So they are looking for, like, not shits? Like, they're... they're, they're sorry. <laughs> They're looking for, like, apples and, like, stuff that's actually healthy, while, like, when we get the munchies, we want, like, candy bars. <laughs> I don't know if they were giving the roundworm Lay's chips or... Why not? <laughs> How it... I, I feel like that would be bad science if they didn't give them Lay's chips. <laughs> I don't know who's funding this research. There's, like, there's, 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 there's cannabis research going on in Acadia. I mean, it's not yeah. uncommon. 
That was so fun. I it just, is funny. I think I should quit what I'm doing right now and just give earthworms cannabis and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's basically all for today's episode. Um, hopefully it rang a little bit of positivity to you guys, gave you some things to think about. Um, these are just recent things that happened in the news. One thing we wanted to address is that with news articles, there's always a narrative that is proposed in these articles. And unless you're getting it from scientific sources, it's not always reliable. It's really important to remember that when you're reading news articles, um, especially about stuff that has to do with science, mm-hmm. be, be wary of what's being told to you and try to ask yourself some questions like, how did they actually figure this out? Where are they getting these sources from? Is this really reliable information? Is there any like knowledge gaps maybe that I should be filling here? Maybe looking at if they do have a link, looking at that and even just reading the abstract to see if you are actually getting the gist of the information mm-hmm. that's being presented because all news articles have an angle and that's just that's just how it is. And sometimes two stories can tell a similar story but use different language when talking about it that can sort of convey a different I guess tone towards what yeah so hopefully you guys all enjoyed and learned something new about what's happening in the world we hope you got your chlorophyll of the recent news uh-huh. we're talking to you about uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry if that one wasn't as good as maybe some of my other ones <laughs> yeah and I just wanted to give a shout out again um to follow our Instagram page at right up your algae podcast all one words no capitals there you'll see pictures of what we talked about today and from past episodes as well don't forget to leave us a rating and maybe even a little review tell us what you like and what you don't like and you can also only tell us what you like about it actually (laughs) (laughs) no you can do whatever you want no bad reviews okay we're going for five out of five stars oh yeah that would be lovely, but you know, not everybody likes what we do. So, anyways, and you can also send us an email if you find any really cool news stories you want us to talk about next month at ruya podcast at outlook.com. So that's R U Y A podcast at outlook.com. And hopefully, you guys have a good week and we'll have a new episode coming out Sunday. I'm going to prepare it this week and uh, it should be exciting. Okay, well, that's all for today, and we hope this episode was right up your algae. algae.